1: I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. Rosé <of
0: faith>. <cryständern> all day I'm talking pretty and pink pretty Baby, that's my kind of drink and You can call what you want, but everybody loves a good cliché Don't need no bougie sommelier There's no
1: point in asking because I'm going to say Rosé. That's popular country singer Mickey Guyton belting out a tune about the blush wine that is no longer just a summer seasonal sip, but a popular year-round favorite of wine drinkers. Rosé's wine sales have been climbing year over year worldwide as wine lovers and others discover that it's delicious and versatile. Now Rosé fans will have even more to sample as wine producers are introducing new styles of the pink wine. We are continuing our Summer Fun series by answering the age-old question, Why Rosé All Day? Joining me remotely, Jonathan Alsop, founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of the Wine Lover's Devotional. Welcome back, Jonathan.
0: Thank you, Callie. Great to be back.
1: So, uh, I love rosé. You love rosé. Let's start off by clearing up a few myths about the drink. Yes, it's pink, but it is not sweet please explain.
0: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You know, when we think about white Zinfandel, which is really, which is (laughs) well, well, we think of white Zinfandel as kind of a gateway wine, you know, for a lot of people, you know, this is how we get you into the wine life and then, you know, work you up till you only drink things you can't afford. But white Zinfandel, which is basically a rosé of Zinfandel, they leave a little bit of residual sugar in it to give it a little sweetness, to give it a little easiness. And whites infidels, a lot of people's introduction, at least a lot of Americans' introduction to wine in general. And so this notion that rosé is a sweet wine is something that has grown connected to the brand. And that's not true at all. You have rosés, of course, that are sweet. And then you have also rosés that are absolutely, absolutely bone dry. Dry in wine speak is the opposite of sweet. So if you like rosé, but you don't want sweet rosé, what you're looking for is a dry rosé.
1: And that's what makes it so food friendly. It's just because the dryness of it really it just goes so mm. well with everything. That's I think that's another reason why it's become so popular. Just in case people were asking themselves, well, how popular? Well, <laughs> rosé wine sales as of uh, 2019 are going up by 40% each year. That is that amazing. Is that's an amazing turn. Um, and again, these are not people who are drinking that other stuff that, that uh, Jonathan mentioned at the top, but actual real mm-hmm. rosé, um, which is dry and delicious. Now... Um, so people are thinking to themselves, well, you know, which rose they all come in different colors? What does that mean? Some are pale pink, mm-hmm. some are salmon colored, some are deep pink. Do they all taste the same? And you say uh, well,
0: absolutely not. I mean, there are there are as many different styles of rose as there are uh, wine lovers. I mean, there's some roses, especially from the south of France, you'll see roses that are just barely, barely pink. And you might look at it and think it was even a white wine. And then at the other end of the spectrum, uh, for instance, in Argentina, a super talented winemaker, uh, Susanna Balbo, she makes a rosé of Malbec. And when you look at that rosé, you say to yourself, hey, is this the darkest rosé in the history of rosé? Or is this some kind of light red wine? I mean, it's right on that border. So you've got a lot of different styles, uh, you know, rosés that much more resemble white wines and also rosés that are kind of leaning hard towards light red wines.
1: And how does it get its color? How do they get any of the shades?
0: You you know, this is a great question. And and, and a lot of people think that rosé is white wine uh, blended with red wine. And that does happen here and there to a certain degree. But, you know, when you think about it, you'd need a cup of red wine to turn a hundred gallons of white wine pink, you know, just from the color. Um, The reality is that rosé is made from red grapes. And the difference between white wine and red wine, of course, seems obvious. White wine's made from white grapes, red wine's made from red grapes. But the real difference is that red wine is fermented with its skins. If you peel a black grape, the meat of a black grape is white. The, the juice of a red grape is really white. But if you press it very, very gently or very slowly or with a or, or, or with not too much pressure, you can squeeze out that white juice and a little bit of pigment from the skins, you know, depending on how dark they are and how how hard and how long you press that. And and that's what rose is. Rose is essentially black grapes made in the white wine style.
1: Now, one of the things that's probably interesting for people to know with regard to the colors along the spectrum, typically you have a lighter colored wine, that might be for lighter foods. They're they typically yes. are a little bit more floral, have more blossom. Overtones to them, mm-hmm. fruity, a little bit more delicate. So, where the darker ones, like Tavel, for one, right. they can go with uh, grilled or smoked seafood. Oh, you know, yeah. So that, so you have a, you know, many choices along the way. And again, we've just talked about the the various flavor profiles. Absolutely. But overall, they tend to be low in alcohol and tannins. And tannins is that element in red wine that some people claim give them a headache. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, tannins are the thing that give you that grippy, a, a sort of a stringent texture that red wine has that white wine doesn't have. That's tannin. That's from the skin of red grapes. So, so yeah, some rosé, some especially dark rosé, if you got a lot of that skin pigment and a lot of things from the contact with the skins, you can have a rosé that has a little bit of that red wine texture. And being between white wine and and red wine, you know, rosé is super, super flexible. I mean, this is a wine that you can drink alone. I don't mean like Alone and sad with the, with the <laughs> shades drawn. I mean, this is a wine. This is a wine you can drink without food. you um, drink without food. And this is also something that you can sit down and create a whole meal around. You know, start out with a sparkling rosé, end up with a sweet dessert rosé, and just everything in between.
1: All right, let's taste one of these wines that um, you've picked. up. Okay. which one do you want to go for first?
0: Well, I am super curious to hear about the Cabernet Sauvignon Rosé.
1: Yes, and I'm super curious, so I'm pouring that now. Okay, um, beautiful. You, you brought it to me before I chilled it, and so I'm mm-hmm. about to take a sip. And Jonathan knows very well that I don't like Cabernet Sauvignon, so I'm very curious about this in a rosé style, so here well, we go. Well, you know, rosé
0: Rosé has changed utterly the mm. wine market and in some ways has turned So many things pink. I mean, Cabernet Sauvignon, for the last several hundred years, has been exclusively a red wine. Guess what? Now we have pink Cabernet Sauvignon.
1: This is pretty darn good, I have to say. (laughs) This is Mulderbosch, by the way, a South African Mm -hmm. uh, Cabernet Sauvignon rosé. And the the
0: texture, right, being from Cabernet, Mm. it's got a little bit of that red wine oomph yes you know that this is what people who love rosé you know their attitude is it's the best of both worlds it's light it's Mm -hmm. bright it's delightful like a white wine but it's got a little more oomph you know that little more of that red wine red grape character to it people who are not huge fans of rosé their attitude is like rosé come on i mean you could have been a red wine (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you could have been a contender. I mean, this is not my worldview, but this is just another, um, another perspective on uh, what makes rosé, rosé.
1: I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. My guest is Boston Wine School's Jonathan Alsop. We're continuing our summer fun series with a conversation about why rosé wine's popularity keeps growing. So, this Mulderbosch, and by the way, we should say that Mulderbosch, uh, the vineyard in South Africa, is pretty well known. So, this is not, you know, some rinky-dink vineyard oh, this, whipping up... This is something uh, you'll uh, find. <laughs> this is something you'll be able to find <laughs> yes, everywhere. exactly. And it's it, it has a solid reputation as a good winemaker mm-hmm. of other styles of wine, and so... Their uh, entry into the rosé world is very interesting to me. So here's the thing that we're combating here in our discussion today, uh, Jonathan, and that is getting away from the fact that people think less of rosé, as you just mentioned. So I wanted people to take a listen to Catherine Cole. She's the author of Rosé All Day, The Essential Guide to Your New Favorite Wine.
0: People think of rosé as a lesser wine or a cheap wine, when in fact, for centuries, the czars of Russia, the popes, the kings of France, they all preferred rosé to red. And red was for the peasants.
1: See? So (laughs) I'm I'm hanging out with the kings and the queens and the czars drinking my rosé. And you know, another thing
0: that I find troubling about rosé's image is that I feel like, like embedded in there is a certain level of innate misogyny that oh, yeah. you know rosé first of all it's thought of as a lady's wine which i'm not advocating this worldview i'm just reporting it and i thought of as a lady's wine you know rosé extremely pretty you know it's just this whole image of friendly easygoing fun in some ways you know some 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 wines are so emotionally needy you know you have to you have to appreciate them you have to taste them you have to admire them uh you know rosé is like rosé's message is shut up and drink me and which we love but it also attaches to it certain inaccurate and unflattering associations
1: so i'm glad you brought that up because uh the stats from europe where a lot of rosé comes from um, rosé is made everywhere but europe is you know kind of in france and mm-hmm. uh, italy the leaders but so in france 60 percent of the sales are red 30 percent rosé and 10 percent white so rosé is actually beating um the white rind in mm-hmm. france and also a lot of men drink uh, yes. rosé so yes. that's to go against what uh as i was just having a conversation with my colleague before we had our discussion jonathan he was like my wife and i found this great rosé i mean it's not sweet and as i said it was never sweet <laughs> <Stop it." laughs>
0: they and, took the sugar out <laughs> you know
1: and he said no no i know i know he said but it is delicious so you know he's come over and i think as uh the popularity has grown particularly jonathan from mm-hmm. young Wine consumers, totally. they're really dra- driving this. What what do you say about that, the young consumers driving this trend?
0: Well, one thing that we see in young wine lovers and wine lovers who are new to the wine world is that they're not familiar with rosé's old image. Mm. They're not really, like they've heard it. Yeah, I heard people used to think that of it, but you know, someone who turned 21 a couple of years ago, their entire alcohol awareness life, rosé has been a main popular, not disrespected corner of the market. So that's one thing that's great. New wine lovers are not attached to these old ideas. And I think some of us, I'll speak for myself, some of us fossils, you know, you you kind of come full circle. You know, you go from junior year in high school Taping a bag of rose onto your body to sneak it into a party, you know, and then decades pass, you grow, things change, you know, you're you, you kind of come full circle and you're you're ready to be open to rose again because now, even for you, it doesn't have the same image associations.
1: Well, uh, there is one particular winemaker, he's based in Miami, his name is Donna Burston, he's the founder and CEO of La Fête du Rose, and his goal is to alert men that hey this is for you and also uh, broadening the horizon making sure that people of color feel invited into the party as well. Totally. I told him I wanted to create a rosé wine brand that was much more inclusive meaning it spoke to men it spoke to people of color and moved away from the traditional stereotypes about pink and flowers and roses and just was like a real serious wine but fun more the essence of how people drank rosé in in the south of France. I wanted to bring that vibe and energy to the United States. And he said, let's do it. So he was talking about uh, the winemaker that he works with in Provence, Mm. which is where his vineyard is. And um, he has a lot of uh, very male (laughs) drinkers. Mm -hmm. Michael Strahan on ABC News, a couple Mm -hmm. of uh, burly football players have uh, tasted (laughs) it and found it to be quite good. And uh, his uh, theme for his wine is Rosé is a party and everyone is invited, so yes. um, he's Excellent. moving that way. All right, we're going to taste this other one that you brought, which is the serre Rosé. Now, this yes. one I would just have always assumed I would like just because I like Sancerre. So, Well, <laughs> so
0: the Mulderbosch Cabernet Rosé, this is about how a wine that had been exclusively red for its entire existence is now pink. serre which like there's a teeny, teeny little amount of, of Pinot Noir that grows near the town of Sancerre. So you, you do have a little teeny bit of Sancerre red. But, you know, our attitude towards Sancerre is it's a it's a white wine. And look, Rosé turned Cabernet Sauvignon pink. And now Rosé has turned this relentless white wine pink as well.
1: This is so good. This is, to get, this is good.
0: My head just practically turned around when I saw it on the shelf. I had, I had just, I had never seen. I mean, I've taste, I've tasted Sancerre red once in my life, mm-hmm. and I had never even seen Sancerre Rosé before. I saw this ninety plus um, in the store.
1: It's delicious. Yeah. It is really, really yummy, 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 and yummy. <laughs> Well, well, this
0: is, this is, this is a rosé of Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. So like the Cabernet, the the Mulderbosch is a rosé of Cabernet. That's going to be, that's going to be a little heavier, maybe a little grittier, a little edgier, a little stronger. And this is a, this is a a rosé made from a light red grape. And so maybe it's going to be a little softer and a little richer in that regard.
1: Well, I, I, it's quite delicious Now, there's another style that I have discovered that is the hot new trend. I guess it came out at the end of last year. And people are going to say, I thought that existed already. No, it didn't. It's rosé prosecco. So people are thinking about, well, there's always been sparkling rosés, and there have been. But, you know, what we talk about with a prosecco is that it's on the lower end of bubbly. So opposite mm-hmm. of champagne. So you think of a of a Prosecco as what they call a frizzante. It's got a little mm-hmm. bit of bubbly in it, but it's right. not like your full-blown champagne.
0: Yeah, not nearly as carbonated as a champagne or, or a traditional uh, American uh, sparkling wine. But yeah, you know, in the aftermath... So 2017 was the worst vintage in EU history. The harvests were down average 15%. In Italy the harvests were down 22%. So in a, in the aftermath of this terrible vintage in 2017, the prosecco makers lobbied to have the rules loosened so that they were able to get grapes from neighboring regions, you know, which was never permitted before. And apparently while the government had, you know, the rule book open and was in a mood to make some changes, rosé producers said, "Hey, um What about a, what about a Prosecco Rosé? So they changed the rules, just, just like we're seeing in the aftermath of our pandemic, how many rules are being changed and suspended overnight that we thought were untouchable. Um, the same thing happened after this 2017 harvest disaster. And so now these wines have just started showing up, say, as of December, January of this year. And, um, Prosecco, gigantically explosive, expanding market. Rosé, also expanding market. I mean, bringing the two things together is just obvious genius.
1: Well, I uh, bought two different bottles, and the one that I sampled with two friends yesterday so I could have this uh, informed conversation with you was also a 90-plus seller's, uh Lot 197 2020. We're going to put the list up for everybody for mm-hmm. all the wines that we're talking about. I'm telling you I thought we all were going to guzzle ourselves to death. It was so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and this and and so and so Prosecco Rosé, it by the rules of it have to be that it has to be at least 85% Prosecco, the the traditional white Prosecco grape, and then it can be blended with up to 15% of Pinot Noir Rosé. So what you've got in Prosecco is Well, one, the Pinot Noir Rosé, which you were loving in the Sancerre Mm Rosé form, blended with the Prosecco, which we love already. And it's just the fusion, the bringing together of these two things is just guaranteed obvious success.
1: And, you know, Jonathan, I like a Prosecco generally, but I don't often find one that just excites me. You know, I... Think of them more as blenders for something, you know, like I'm making a mimosa or whatever. There are very few of them that I just drink to sip. But I will tell you, 90 plus sellers, rosé, prosecco, lot 197, 2020. (laughs) You can just drink that one. (laughs) It was delicious. And I had in my sampling with me someone who just doesn't drink a lot of wine and then someone who drinks a lot of cocktails, you know, brown liquor kind of stuff and mm-hmm. wine, quite a bit of wine and both were impressed. Yeah. Uh, they said, "Wow, this is rosé. Yeah. Wow, this is great." So, and I not to mention that because it has that little bubbling in it, you get mm-hmm. so much bang for your buck in terms of all your summer foods that oh, are, yeah. you know, heavy and greasier than they should be. <laughs> 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 and you can cut a little of that with the acid that is in the rose.
0: <laughs> so, in the south of France, the classic food match with rose is garlic. Oh. Roasted mm. garlic, garlic mm. stew. The mythology in the south of France is that if you drink rose while you eat garlic, something biodynamic happens and you don't get garlic breath. Because the the rose, yeah, it, it's not true. It, it, I mean, it's just a bunch of people. It's a bunch of people standing around eating garlic, saying, "Hey, how's my breath smell?" Everyone's like, "You're fine. What's the problem?" Um, but but the classic batch is garlic, and um, and 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 dig this for some. You were talking about French rose being extremely popular among men. Mm-hmm. Dig this reverse misogyny, and it's a gross generalization. But in France, light white wines a lady's drink real men drink red and since rose is made from red grapes, guess what? That's what men drink instead of white wine. So so on some level, rose is perceived also misogynistically as a man's drink in some in some <laughs> quarters. So, you know, you, you 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 can you get it from both directions.
1: All right, we have one more, the last that you left me to taste. <laughs> It's in a can, which I happen to love. <laughs> so this is Underwood, Oregon-grown rosé wine. Let's yes. take a sip.
0: Mm. And this wine in, in this can is exactly the same wine that Underwood sells in a bottle as well. Interesting. It, it is the identical product. And, you know, again, the image is completely different. There's something different about opening a bottle of wine and pouring it into a fancy wine glass than pulling the tab on this and just crushing it on the porch. (laughs) But it's the same product. And we've talked about this a lot. Rosé's thought of as a, a newbie, you know, as a newcomer style wine. So a lot of times these new ideas in the wine world Rose is the one that goes first you know let's put Rose in a can and see how it does and then maybe we'll go with other wine so
1: well but um, here's the thing the trend is a lot of these hard seltzers the you know there's a huge following for that and it's part of it is driven by the fact that they're in cans. So yes. the can movement is huge and this helps underwood Rose it's a mm. union wine company made in Oregon mm-hmm. just be able to sell their, rosé even better because you can pack it better or whatever. I love their hashtag. It's called Pinkies Down. Their little <laughs> conversation on the back of their wine uh, can says, we love our wine. We just don't drink it with our pinkies in the air, <laughs> which I love. So it's great. So here's the I'm thing, Jonathan. I'm going to my pinky down. <laughs> yes, you are. So uh, you wine lover you. So uh, here's the thing, Jonathan. Rosé is fun. And this is the first of our fun series. So Tell me your favorite rosé that you ever had, and do you think of it as fun?
0: I mean, my favorite rosé, the uh, Susanna Balbo, rosé of Malbec. I mean, for me, that's something that's just got everything. And, you know, during the summer, I don't know if you know anybody who puts ice cubes in their wine. (laughs) Yes, I do. Um, But there's (laughs) there's, there's two problems with that. One, it dilutes your wine. Exactly. And two, you would not believe the things that people say about you while you're in the bathroom. <laughs> exactly. um, so, so to try, so to try to correct this around our house, which cause all, people just trying to keep their wine cold. It's, it's, they don't, they don't mean any harm. Uh, but what we do around our house is we freeze grapes. Mm. We freeze black grapes or green mm. grapes or, 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 really any kind of fruit. And you know, if you're, if you're outside, if you're enjoying wine at 80, 90 degrees, A couple of pieces of frozen fruit in your rosé is, Mm. um, first of all, that that rosé-soaked fruit is delicious to eat after you drink the wine. And, you know, it doesn't dilute the wine. And it's just a whole nice summery look and summery feel. So
1: Love it. Um, Well, I think rosé is definitely fun. I love it. I can't have enough of it. I enjoy sampling it all along the spectrum of color and weight body and you know intensity Mm. Um, and I predict uh, this is not a trend that's going away anytime soon no yes all right we agree on that so with that uh, Jonathan I will thank you for joining me in the summer fun series
0: that was fun Callie
1: (laughs) so thank you so much Jonathan Alsop is the founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of the Wine Lovers devotional. And of course, a UTR regular. That's it for this week's show. We're going out on more of Mickey Guyton's Rosé. In the meantime, find us on the web and wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubilee and Angela Yang, and engineered by Dave Goodman. Ipta Sam Imaliki is our intern. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.
0: I'm talking pretty in pink, baby, that's my kind of drink, and you can call it what you want, but everybody loves a good cliche, don't need no bougie, sommelier, there's no point in